Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. You will notice I'm not in my usual foresty environs, along with my partner Rowan, the gracious Badger Mangan, and our little one, Lila, and Rowan's mom, Paula. We are on a visit to New York. And as we drove in the car yesterday, I said to Paula, who is a brilliant writer and who hangs around with brilliant writers in Australia, um, and we're talking about the books we're all working on and everybody, I used to know not a single writer. And now almost everyone I know is a writer. And I have to say, it's awesome. So I said to Paula, what are you thinking about lately? And she said, I'm thinking about the muse. And I was like, uh-huh. She's like, I'm fascinated by the question of what's your muse? And we all thought about this deeply for a while, especially Lila, whose muse is hats um, and things that can be worn as hats, such as underpants. Anything, everything goes on the head. She was born with a little a birthmark on her head, and we're not supposed to expose it to the sun, so she's had hats on since she was born, and now everything's a hat. And she finishes her dinner, plate becomes hat. So that's her muse. But um, we were talking about what the nature of a muse is. And I looked it up, of course. And as we all know, the muses in Greek mythology were the nine goddesses of the various arts and sciences, the daughters of Zeus and Nemnosyne, who, as you know, is the goddess of memory. Ah, I bet you forgot that, didn't you? I bet you've already forgotten it. Ha <laughs> ha, Mnemosyne is not with you. Anyway. So memory and the power that creates the universe get together, and what did they create? Boom. The goddesses of the nine muses, and, and the ancient Greek poets, <coughs> sorry, like Homer, would begin their poems with, sing, O muse, or tell me, O muse. They were always calling on the muse, right? It was part of the formality, but it was also a genuine prayer. Like, come to me the thing that drives my passion, and make this a good story, or a good epic poem, or... I don't know, a good hat. You're calling, there must be one of the muses must be devoted to hats, right? So we were all thinking about this and um, Paula was saying, well, I get, I get drawn forward through life by concepts. And uh, Ro, I think, was talking about the great stories that motivate her. And I was like, for me, it's always this silver thread of soul, of spirit that is like a fish line that goes all the way through my life and I've been pulling myself hand over hand along this tiny line of spirit and nothing else has ever really mattered to me. But here's the thing, if you get in touch with your spirit, your integrity, your whatever, it will awaken you to different muses at different times in your life. So I don't know if you guys have had the experience of feeling bizarrely and powerfully drawn to study something or create something or do something. If you haven't, I really believe it's because you've been so brainwashed by the culture that you're not able to feel what the muses are telling you because the muses work on everyone. Of this, I am sure. They may take one person into library science and another person into, you know, theater performance on the streets of New York. We've seen a few of those and they're all good. But if no muse is talking to you, your life doesn't feel like inspired. The, the muse, one, if you look it up, one of the synonyms for it in the dictionary is inspiration. So it, it was this the goddess of the arts and sciences, but it's now become inspiration itself. And here's the thing. There's this narrow band of stuff 
that modern culture defines as worth doing. And over and over and over, I have seen clients sitting there going, what can I do that makes money? What can I do that's productive? Okay, these are my interests. I love, um, you know, pottery and wine, women, and song. Okay, should I go into business, law, or medicine? Like, and so there's this, is it productive? Can it make money? Even if you, if you say, I'm going to be an artist, they'll be like, yay, do a show, sell some pieces. That's great. And that, you guys, kills the muse. Unless your muse is money. And I know some people whose muse is money, and they're fabulously wealthy, and I'm not interested. I wish I were interested in money. I'm not that interested in money. I'm just not. So I, what I am is severely attention deficit disordered, signed, sealed, and delivered. So I have ADD, and here it is. It is a neuro, a neuro pattern that our culture defines as pathological. Why? Because when you have ADD, you do things that you're interested in instead of things you're supposed to do. And this they try to like, here, we'll medicate that until you have no interests whatsoever except factory labor. And uh, yeah, so I went into my, I, I, like, I went into my freshman year of college and I signed up for some classes. I signed up for whatever interested me, Shakespeare, statistics, Chinese, and studio art. And I remember going to my advisor and he was like, what, what are you planning to do with this? Like, and I'm like, do with it? Why would I do anything with it? I want to study it. And he was like, well, this, this won't work. You're going to have to get like solidly into a, you know, a theme at least. And I was like, oh, I beg to differ. And um, yeah, jokes on him because I had fun doing all those different things. And I ended up making up something to do for a living that is truly my muse. So when people come to me and they're on this narrow track, I have my ADD perspective and I mean, I, I, I'm sitting there going, you mean you're not like sampling the whole universe to see what you love and then choosing what gives you direction and, and inspiration in the moment? Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's see if we can fix this. And in the car, when we were talking about it, Paula said she follows the heat. It's like a heat. And I've often compared um, your life's work, uh, finding your life's work to a game of you're getting warmer, you're getting colder. Like as you move towards something that's right for your life, you feel, oh, everything starts to light up and it feels warmer. As you go towards something that's wrong, law, business, or medicine, it's like, it goes colder. Here's the thing. If you're following the heat, which is a great way to find your life's destiny, you have to move. You have to like sign up for four completely different classes to see what's going on. You have to like go online and look at things you've never looked at. You have to read books about things you would never read. Um, I always try to be reading a book about some bizarre subject that I would never be interested in. <laughs> but um, but it if there's something that's interesting to me, like a while ago I thought I was going to be interviewed by an FBI hostage neg negotiator. And I was so excited and I went and read all his books on hostage negotiation and it was phenomenal. Talk about heat, I'm obsessed with this. Turned out to be a different guy with the same name, no harm done. Now I know that I'm fascinated by hostage negotiation and I'm gonna use it in my coaching. <clears throat> um, I just listened, one of the people I know who is most 
clearly an exemplar of someone who follows her muse is a comedian named Maria Bamford, the sister of master coach Sarah Seidelman, who went through my Wayfinder Life Coach training and is amazing and is a doctor and everything. Well, her sister is a comedian, and she also has a lot of health challenges. So she's done a lot of live stand-up work, but sometimes she's like, I can't do that. So at one point, she, she sort of melted down, and she went back and lived with her parents in their house in Michigan. And she started making a one-woman show from her parents' attic, I believe it was, and they were just like three-minute episodes where she'd do all these different characters and all these different voices. And they were basically the story of her breakdown. Then she went and she had a very uh, an acclaimed Netflix special. Um, I forget what it was called, but look at for, for Maria Bamford. Now, what I most recently found from her was an audio book on how to do stand-up comedy. So you can go and buy it. She wrote it and performed it. And it's hilarious. But the thing that's amazing about it is how relentlessly she keeps doing what she wants. She keeps doing what she wants to do, even if she has to like make up an audiobook and record it somewhere. And she has no idea how to do this thing or how to mold her art to that shape. But she's always doing different things. And everywhere she goes, the first law she says is call everything you do stand-up comedy, and suddenly you're a stand-up comedian. So... Um, if you have a deep passion like that, if you know where the heat is for you, follow it no matter what. If you hit a dead end, keep following it. Make films from your parents' attic. Do whatever it takes if you've got the heat. A lot of people who come to me say, I don't have the heat. I don't have any heat. And in that case, I say, follow your dreams. But I don't mean dreams as in I long one day to be an Olympian in, in the heptathlon. I mean literal dreams. I mean you probably need sleep. Because if you're searching and searching and trying to figure out the problem of your life and you just feel numb in the head and completely uninspired and there's no heat anywhere at all, I promise you, you need rest. You need to actually physically sleep. I can't tell you how many times I've worked and worked and worked on something. You may have had this too, or tried to learn something, a language, a mathematical concept. Your brain feels like a hamburger. You can't handle it anymore. Sleep, your brain goes to work, knitting new neural pathways that it can only knit in your sleep. And you wake up and it's like, bing, that's what I want to do. A lot of people that I've coached don't rest enough to ever find the muse. The muse follows the heat, but the muse, muse also follows sleep. Memory is compounded in our sleep. If you study right before you go to sleep, you're going to remember things more because nemnosine Nemnosyne, the goddess of memory, is going to work on you while you're literally dreaming. So if you don't have any heat, then rest, 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 rest. After you've rested, what you should do is follow your nose. So follow the heat, yay. Follow your dreams by sleeping and sleeping. Follow your nose is something where you let yourself wander loosely, which is something we never usually do. So uh, Ro and Paula took Lila out to the park this morning. And a 19-month-old in a park is just kind of careening around, like trying to take other people's toys, putting sand in a woman's hair, doing, you know, wearing hats, 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 and so excited about all of it. But there's no plan. There's this random path through life 
But that is why babies learn so fast. It's, you may have had this experience when you go traveling. If you remember traveling, <laughs> wasn't that fun? You may be traveling again soon. I don't know, it could happen. Um, but you know how suddenly you have more ideas and things strike you as interesting or funny or whatever that is? When you're exposed to a, a new experience, a new environment, it kicks up different pathways in the brain and gets your, um, gets your psyche all focused on its little muse. Now, the last thing I want you to do, did I say that was the last thing? It wasn't. This was the last thing. Follow your curiosity. And this one in particular is for those of you who have anxiety um, or depression or you're struggling with a difficult life problem. I have an internal family systems therapist and this is how, she almost never says anything. She's amazing. She says just the right things and then not a word more. And one of the things that they do in IFS therapy is if you're not feeling good, like I was feeling, I had insomnia last week, so I was feeling bedraggled. And so I said, I feel bedraggled. And my therapist said, can you be curious about that? I was like, no. What's, you know, I'm bedraggled. I don't, I'm not curious about it. It's, it sucks. She's like, try to be curious about it. Now, this is genius. I don't know if the IFS dude, Dick Schwartz, who made this up, knew this. But the part of the brain that goes to fear and anxiety is the, the left hemisphere amygdala. Thank you, Jill Bolte-Taylor. The right hemisphere amygdala, which is equally primitive and equally powerful, where the left hemisphere amygdala goes to fear, and our culture will drive you onto your, into your left hemisphere, as we've said so often. Fear and control, fear and control. That's what the left hemisphere does. The right hemisphere, the amygdala there, this primitive, powerful thing, is sending out pulses of curiosity. So if you can connect with curiosity about anything, you are going to shift out of anxiety and into creativity, and you're going to find the line of your muse. The muse loves curiosity more than any. In fact, I could say that curiosity is the muse alive in us. So even if you're like, I hate life and everything sucks, my question to you is, can you be curious about it? And you know, my therapist said that, and I'm like, no, I'm not curious. And she said, try to be curious. <laughs> I was like, wow. But then I was curious. <laughs> and I said, it's like, I feel like a tired mountain lion. She's like, Check it out. What is it like? Go look at the mountain lion. See what you can find out about it. And sure enough, the mountain lion had all kinds of things to say to me. And um, it told me how to treat myself, my body better, to get enough sleep to become actively involved in the heat of my latest passion, which, believe it or not, and I'm not kidding, because I'll go with anything that comes up, organizing my bathroom. I know. Never done it in my life obsessed with it. Don't know why, don't care. I go where my muse says. So I am ready to look at some questions. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, 
just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. And Rowie the Gracious Badger has been sending them in. So let's, yay, I love getting to the question. Jessica says, yes, I have some pretty varied interests. They do merge into one sort of life purpose, but I often feel confused about which tangent to follow. How do we choose? You, go, you get curious about the tangents and about the desire to follow the tangents. You start saying, what is that about? And your motivations will start to reveal themselves if you simply pose the question, why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? What's underneath this? And in that way, you can sometimes find a thing that clearly presents itself. If you can't find something that clearly presents itself, just cruise. Just call everything you're doing your life purpose, like Maria Bamford calling everything comedy. Just, you know, do a quick gander around everything that interests you online and see where the heat is that day. And it may not be a blazing white heat. It may be just a little warmer, okay? And something else is just a little colder. Go with what's warmer. The important thing is don't get caught in the culture saying, yeah, but how is that going to work for you? Like really, how, how productive is that going to be if you just like organize your bathroom and eat Cheetos all day? Don't worry about it. Just do it and see what comes next because the, the muse is taking you somewhere. When you get really clear on these things and you follow the heat, follow the sleep, follow, the, follow your nose and follow your curiosity, it gets very strong. The feeling of pulling you forward gets very, very strong. And you don't know why. And I literally, when I was 50, spent my life savings on a ranch in California just because the muse wanted to go there. Okay. And everybody thought that I was going to um, end up in the funny farm. And no. Instead, I was just on a ranch in California where I had experiences I couldn't have had anywhere else. And then, boom, the muse said, Go to the Northeast. And I'm like, all right. Because I really, that's how connected I am to my muse. I really will do anything. So Jocelyn says, what happens when you have too many ideas from the muse and it becomes overwhelming? Yeah, at that point you need to like, overwhelming is another thing you need to rest because the brain has something called decision fatigue, which is why you should never go on trial in the afternoon. In the morning, they did this study, judges evaluate the facts of a case and do what they think is right. By afternoon, they've had to make so many life or death decisions that the decision-making capacity of their brains is exhausted and they just start sending people to prison. <laughs> just like, get away from me. They don't know they're doing this, but it's because of this thing called decision fatigue. As I organize my bathroom, sometimes I, I have ADD. There's a bunch of objects. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. Rest, 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 rest. Go do something completely different. Never forget that your muse is part is partly based on letting your mind go blank and letting your body sleep. So Ali says, what if you want to lean into your purpose, but you also want to sleep and watch TV all the time, and the impulse to watch TV and be horizontal all the time almost always wins out. Notice what you like on TV. I've spent, because I also have chronic pain, I have spent a large proportion, I mean a large proportion of my life, lying in bed, reading, listening to audiobooks, um, sometimes writing, I write in bed, and watching TV shows. And if I do enough different things, even lying there on my bed, something in me goes, 
huh, get curious. So even as you lie there, chomping on Funyuns, watching The Sopranos for the ninth time, notice what is so fascinating to you about that show or what you're so afraid about in the outside world and get curious about it. If there's something negative in your life, the way to find your way back to the muse is to get curious about the negativity. So just start saying, huh, what part of me is lying on the couch? I wonder what that part's doing. I'll get curious. I'll ask it some questions. And it often has really important things to tell you. So yeah, it's not a bad thing to be lying on your bed watching TV. That's a culturally, you know, it, it's frowned upon in the culture, but there's nothing wrong with it. All right. Samita says, what is one path to take when I'm aware of my muse, my inspiration, my joy, but I'm scared to start? Well, you could get curious about the, the part of you that's scared to start. Another thing you could do is enlist, you should listen to Maria Bamford's audiobook. Um, she talks about calling a friend, and she actually mentions, if you don't have any friends, she said you could hire a coach or you could hire a babysitter. They're way cheaper than coaches, and they give you string cheese and let you play with their phones. <laughs> They're $15 an hour. Hire someone to babysit you and do your comedy for them. Get with somebody else and talk about what you're doing. This is what we did in the car. Each of us in that car, probably including Lila, was working on a book. And so we we're all talking about, this is what my book has to say, this is what, and like Paula's book, um, really informed the novel that Roe has just started to work on. I mean, she had all these interesting things to say, and then there were other interesting things to say about it that came from what I knew about the world. And then we drove into New York, and it was like, hey, we should watch Gangs of New York. I think there's some connection there that might help your novel. And it was all this bing, 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 bing. The muse loves company. And if you don't have company in, you know, your house locked down for COVID, Go online, there's company out there. I promise you there's company out there. You'll find someone else who's willing to be your muse buddy. Get muse buddies, get a bunch of them. I used to have a, a very vivid image of living in a salon like the ones in France where writers and artists and musicians would gather and anguish over their creations and talk to each other. And you know, that was like, I don't know, 400 years ago. But now I actually live there. You know, I live in that place. I never knew it would involve something called the internet. I mean, we're talking about when I was a kid. And who knew that we could, I could have my salon right here in one little room. It's amazing. You can find other people. Get them to help you. Laurie says, I feel like sometimes my heat is actually part of my addictive personality. Any ideas on how to distinguish true heat from getting caught up in addictive patterns? Um, here, I, I really hear you. When it gets me, like a, a few, like about a year ago, I don't know, I, I got obsessed with doing one painting. I was obsessed with this one painting. I showed it to you guys after it was done. It was this painting of the forest as a cathedral and I was obsessed. I was up at night. I was like ignoring my family responsibilities and missing deadlines so I could paint. And I finished it and I thought, that's it, I'm a painter. And I tried to paint something else and it was like colder. But during the time that I was obsessed with this painting, or for that matter, organizing my bathroom has now, I mean, I am not a neatnik. Oh no, I am not a neatnik. The fact that I am obsessive about organizing my bathroom is bizarre. My muse, what can I say? But it feels addictive. 
here's what I've learned over the years because I've had some minor addictions, mainly um, eating and starving, that kind of thing, which is a powerful addiction. Um, but this is what I've learned working with addicts versus the muse. I think all addicts are people who have a very close relationship with the muse. I think they're dancing with the muse all the time, but the culture won't let them. And that is painful. When you want to go off on a passion that your culture says no to, and you don't even know the name of it because the culture only says law, business, or medicine. What's your point? You know, let's, that's it. The, the pain of being separated from your true self, this is why integrity brings you together, that's so intense that a lot of people with a strong muse end up taking drugs or alcohol or whatever to dull the pain. And the way that you know when you found a thing that is the muse and not the addiction is that the quality of intensity is the same, but where addiction destroys, 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 the muse creates, creates, creates. So it, it makes something happen. And there are people who blend them both. I mean, uh, Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, says that for in the 20th century, the last part of the 20th century, Americans mistook the progress of alcoholism for the life of a great artist. And she was like, it is not the same. The fact that Hemingway drank and drank and ultimately committed suicide is not the reason he was a great writer. Writing was probably what kept him alive as long as it did because anything that is truly in the muse is generative, will lead you to feel, you know, it leads you to share in a way that leaves you vulnerable to intimacy the way Brene Brown talks about so brilliantly. Um, it, it's scary and it's compulsive, but it's profoundly connecting, creative, and um, uh, it serves you and all the people around you. So just notice the effect of it. The feeling is very similar, and it's kind of a great feeling, so why not? All right. Um, so Dr. Nana says, how do you both wander but also follow through on things that matter? I think I have so many things I find fascinating, but I get overwhelmed at following through. This is because not everybody's a finisher. I was coaching someone the other day who said I, I could start like 10 million projects and he's just he throws out a few projects and some people will grab one of his ideas because they're brilliant and go make it happen and he's like I know I should stick it through I should just follow one idea all the way through and I'm like why would you your muse is telling you to start things then there are other people whose muse is to find that great idea and just make it happen follow through on it that's the thing is we have complementary muses when I was writing one of the things that was my like the gospel about being a writer for me for a long time was that it's a lonely thing. You're really, really by yourself. Ultimately, you have to go off to a room by yourself. And I believed that. And now I don't anymore. Now um, I write, I bat around ideas, then I write pages, I send them off to people when they're not finished, I get, I get more feedback. It's, and it's because of the, the incredible communicative power of the internet. Again, it really, really has made it so I can just, here you go. I don't have to like carry paper to someone's house and say, look at this. I can just send it to their phone and they're like, fit, fit, fit. now, couldn't read it, go back. Or often they're much kinder than that. So you don't need to follow through on everything. Sample many, many things. The idea that you have to follow through and take projects from beginning to some sort of culturally approved completion, that again is a cultural belief. It, it doesn't have to be true. And in fact, most of the great geniuses of history have been beginners who then 
passed on um, the sort of authority for their creations to other people. Yeah. Be glad you're a, a beginner. Be an eternal beginner. It's wonderful. Mama Researcher says, in being curious, should you take on the perspective of the thing you're curious about? Like taking the perspective of the mountain land? Absolutely. Yes, it's very fun. This is how I do dream analysis as well. If you have literal dreams, uh, um, like I dreamed that I lived in this room overlooking the ocean. So if I wanted to know what that dream meant, I could get curious about that house over the ocean and I would become the house and say, ooh, I am balanced. I look precarious, but actually I'm adventurous, whatever. That just came up from, that was a real dream I really had. And I was actually going into the role of the house it's really important that you not pop into describing the house from your perspective, but become the house. And you'll find all kinds of information popping out of those um, fabulous images that come up when you get curious. Okay, so Hanchep says, how can you tell the difference between codependent impulses and your muse? I have a problem with wanting to coach people toward happiness against their will, especially my partner. Oh my God, you should get with everyone I've ever loved and just like let your husband or your partner um, commiserate. I've done that all times. And what I've learned is my muse is curious about people, but it's never directive. All it really says is, tell me everything. I'm genuinely interested in you. I'm genuinely interested in your experience. Please tell me everything. If you say that and you mean it and you listen, they fix themselves. It's the most amazing thing because you know what? They've got the muse too. And it's pulling us all not just toward the creation of like a novel, but a cr toward the creation of the lives we're meant to have. That ultimately is what all the things we do add up to. So finally, Amy Kurtz says, as a depressive, I love to rest. I like to pronounce depressed deep rest. I find it restorative and regenerative. Is there such a thing as resting too much? I don't think so. I really don't think so. If you feel so deflated that you can't move at all, it's probably because you're trying to force yourself to do things you're not meant to do. If you really take off, the, if you stop spurring yourself on, you know, spare the whip, put all the motivational things down and really become present and really loving toward the part of you that wants to rest, it will at some point, like a 19-month-old waking up from a nap, sit up and go, Oh, hat. Where's a hat? And you will go looking for hats or making hats. I don't even know what you'll do. Your muse knows what you'll do. And it's sitting right beside you saying, yes, yes, yes. And you will know which of these options to choose based on what your muse says in your heart. So thank you for coming to the gathering room today. I love you guys. You are definitely one of my muses and it's so much fun to hang out with you once a week and I'll see you again soon on The Gathering Room. Bye! It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. 
Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.